All right, we are back with a new edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com. And with us, as always, from this time from Goodyear, Arizona, Terry Pluto. Terry, how's it going out there? I am doing very well. Um, it's raining today, which wonder whether they'll play or not. But um, it's been nice to be out here the last couple of days to catch a little bit of a baseball. Yeah, you know, spring training is, is really good. It's relaxed. And David, I mean, it's so much different than a year ago where they were – I mentioned in my scribbles for this morning that Ahmed Rosario was trying to play the outfield, if you recall. Bobby Bradley was going to play first base or DH or something. They were trying to figure out where to play Yu Chang. In fact, basically, they put Bradley at first, Yu Chang at second, Jimenez at short, and Jose at third. Uh, Austin Hedges was the catcher. And with no clue what was to come with you know the 17 players coming from the minors or the 92 wins. Well, yeah, and that seems like ten years ago, and, and yeah, man, it, it was. It's, it's so weird. It's so weird. So, um, yeah. So we were off last week, Terry, and now you're out in Goodyear. I guess we can get right into the Guardians. Uh, okay. You, you've been writing, I guess, about how fans really should not underappreciate Ahmed Rosario and what no. he has done and what he's meant to this team, both in terms of his production and his attitude. And, you, you know, you've been seeing him in spring training the last few days, and he is just doing what he does, what he did last season. Nothing has changed. I mean, he hustles and, and hits and does whatever they ask him to do, right? I mean, he's an interesting player. Analytics doesn't like him because um, he doesn't walk that much. Um, and it's one of those players, reminds me a little bit of Rajay Davis in that, He's he looks better than the stats say, but the stats sometimes can lie. And it's an it. How about his combination of he led the American League in infield hits and in triples. The last two years, he said exactly eleven homers for the Guardians. In '81, he batted two eighty two, and '82 he batted two eighty three. I mean, basically twenty one, he batted two eighty two. The following year. 283. I mean, he's remarkably consistent. He plays every single day. Um, you know, he is just one of those, since he's come to the Guardians, he has stolen um, 31 bases, been caught four times. <laughs> I've been stuff like his slugging percentage, 409, 403. And I know Francona values that because you just kind of write it in and this is what he's going to do. And, it, and he's also improved, um, you know, his infield defense. And then the flip side, they have 8 million shortstops running around in camp. And it's all kind of tied together, isn't it, Terry? Like, this could be the last season for Ahmed Rosario, who might price himself out of Cleveland. And like you said, they've got some guys that they like. Uh, if, if you were to kind of project which of the up-and-comers might move into that shortstop spot next year, who who would you say? Well, if – before I came to spring training and before that began, it probably would have been uh, Rocaccio. I hope I'm saying that way, that right. Rocaccio, who played a double A. Brian, Brian uh, is it Rocchio? It's Rocchio, Rocchio. right? I'm sorry. Yeah, Rocchio. Okay. Yeah, at triple A. And he, he played end of the year at triple A there. And I think he's going to go back. They just sent him down. I saw him play on Monday. And he I mean, he's very smooth. He's got a strong arm. Um, I just, I mean, I, I really like him uh, on that. And you look at last year. Uh, between double A AA and triple A, he had 257. Doesn't sound like much, but he just turned 22 in January. So he was playing a double A AA and triple A at the age of 21. And he also hit 18 homers. And when you think about how Jimenez, is, for example, his production 
was uh, increases, just got a little older. Uh, that could happen with this guy. Now, then I came to spring training, and I, what Tom Hamilton had been telling me for about a month, because I talk to him usually every week on when he's done a good year, what's going on. And then I've got to watch in the last couple of days. Uh, Gabriel Arias is back to being that hot prospect that they really liked that they got in the trade for um, Clevenger. Arias had a rough year last year. He had a broken hand. He had some other injuries. Just In fact, he ended up on the team anyway. Uh, you can win some few bucks on this. People don't remember who was playing first base against the Yankees the last couple of games. Remember, it was Arias because he had soured on Owen Miller's defense and that. But he has played a lot of second, third. He looks terrific. I mean, he really does. And so he, you know, I mean, if you were to say who would be the, the immediate first bet, it would be him. Um, but both of those guys, then you have these these other guys like uh, uh, Tenna. And I'm looking at Arias. I just wanted to look up his age. He's 23. So we're talking about Rokio just turned 22. Arias is 23, which meant last year at the age of 22, he was already in the big leagues. So we have to be very careful on these guys. Part of the reason that Rosario was written off some with the Mets is he came up so young. And also, he was a, considered a top 10 or 12 prospect in all of baseball. And, you know, he looks good, but he's not great. Um, I do love this part of baseball because it, it's it's so different than the other sports. Terry Francona and I were talking about that. You know, you, you, for example, you could draft in football. What? How many guys they draft now? Seven, eight. I got seven rounds. Uh They've cut the draft back to like 30 rounds, not counting all the players from the Dominican and everywhere else. Um, Rob Serfurlio is the, the Guardians minor league director, and I had a long talk with him for a story to come up. And he said, well, right now we're limited to 180 players domestically. And I'm like, what does that mean? He said, you know, basically uh, American players or players, uh, Puerto Rican eligible for the draft, only 180. They're used to having more. <laughs> Right. Think about that. Then he said, I said, what about your uh, players in your Dominican complex? He said, it's kind of unlimited. Now we have 70. He goes, other teams have more. Some teams have less. So let's just round it off to 250 guys in the farm system. Jeez. Yeah. So you're trying to fight your way through it. But here's the other thing, David, you know, a guy like say, we'll go with Brennan drafted in the eighth round, you know, not particularly a, uh, a hot prospect. Uh, in fact, some people thought that he was quote unquote overdrafted at that, uh, that spot, 250th pick in the 2020, 2019 draft will Brennan. But because baseball, you actually go out and play and you have farm teams, you could hit or pitch your way out of that ranking in football. It's pretty hard. You know, you're in there and it's like, limited amount of snaps or whatever and suddenly the next thing you know you're a guy bouncing from team to team especially if you're one of those lower picks yeah that's a great point terry hey one thing i wanted to ask about arius we see this with the guardians every year like they do an incredible job kind of walking the line between trying something and pulling the plug on it and then every year like in may it seems like in may they take inventory and they're like all right we need to bring these three guys up and send these three guys away um yeah is Gabriel Arias somebody that could start the season as like the utility guy? 
yes. on that team? You or do you see them maybe having him start in in Columbus and bring him up in May? What what do you think? What are you hearing? I guess about him. I think I think he's the utility guy. Tyler Freeman was trying to win that role, but Freeman right now is he's just got the the spring training jitters, and they're also doing they're playing these guys a little bit in the outfield and their middle infielders. And I think that's been difficult. Now, the outfield in Arizona is hard. The wind blows. The sun is bright. The sky is blue. When the balls hit to you, it's like a black dot in that. It really is. And that's what's interesting. You watch my, I swear, Miles Straw could run down fly balls at the wall in a hurricane. It's amazing. The other day, ball was, the wind was blowing all over the place, and guys are having trouble. And he's just like, he turns around, back to the plate. It's almost like he's jogging, just catches it right on the track, turns around, throws it in. And but most other guys, are, it's a miserable time. So, uh, yes, I think Arias is is going to be that guy, is the utility guy that they think they could play all over the place. But when they played him at first base those last couple of games in that Yankee series, that told you something. Boy, and, and before we move on from Arias, Terry, that Mike Clevenger deal just looks oh. better and better and better with every passing month. It it really was something that they pulled that off. So you keep uh, going. All right, you know, if you just found a list, you got Quantrill. He's in your rotation. You got Naylor at first base. You've got um, you, you turn around and now you have you have Arias. Uh, Rob Serfurlio, the minor league director, was was raving to me about Juan Cantillo. I'm sorry, Joey Cantillo, a lefty pitcher they just sent to the minors. Uh, he thinks he could be a guy on on the way up uh, coming soon. Of course, they all love their their catchers. You know, Owen Miller. He's now with um, with the Brewers. And Austin Hedges was in that trade, but they still have Cantillo. They still have Naylor. They still have Quantrill. So um, that's pretty good. Yeah. And Clevenger is now with the White Sox. Went to the went to the Padres, had his second uh, Tommy John, uh, and became a free agent. Now he's with the White Sox. That that's going to go down as one of the great trades in franchise history. I think when all is said and done. So all right, Terry, I need to ask you about Zach Plesac. Uh mm. Given the way things have went, have gone for him and the way things are going, it, it, it seems like Tito's saying he's working on some things delivery wise. And, and we're seeing that in games instead of in side sessions. So he's kind of working out some delivery issues and it's showing up in a box score, which is it's it's not ideal. If you're Zach Plesek, should you be worried at this point? And what do you think is going to happen? Well, you should be worried because you're not pitching well, period. Um but in terms of what's going to happen, I think they'll open the season with him in the rotation. Unfortunately, a guy who maybe had would have had a chance to uh, um, maybe take that spot would have been uh, Pilkington, Connor Pilkington, from a year ago. But he he's got he got shelled his last outing, and um, so I I think they really need to send Pilkington back to the minors. Remember, he was Mister Come Up, Go Down, Come Up, Go Down last year, and he just needs to pitch. And that's another thing that uh, I had. A, I know I'm mentioning Rob Sperry a lot, the farm director. But when you get a chance to sit down and talk to a guy like that for 40 minutes, he gives you just a tremendous amount of insight because he's watched these guys develop. You know, Pilkington actually he was he he made 15 starts. He had a 388 ERA. Oh, it's interesting. He averaged barely four innings a start when he was with Cleveland, and then he would go back to AAA and he started 12 games there and he had a 588. And he said the kid was basically kind of a mental mess up and down. And uh, this is a, a pitcher they like, but he's probably not ready. So uh, that's why Puzek will get his chance. And they have Xavier Curry and a couple of these other guys. But they want to get 
Plezak straightened out. But I, I have to admit, when you hear they're working on his delivery and we're in the middle of March, I mean, that's a sign that they saw something's off with it, too. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's been a rough, what, eight, eight months, eight, eight months for him. So I guess we'll, well see. No, if I would get... say it's a rough two years in the last. <laughs> no, seriously. Since no, the, I know. 20, 21 and 22, along with a couple of the dumb things he did. The numbers are the numbers. He's 12 and 18 with a 4.6 ERA. Yeah, and that 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 speaks to that. So, uh, hey Terry, anything else from Goodyear you want to get into? Uh, things you want to talk about? That you're going to see today, or things coming or just, up? Just well, a couple things that are fun to see. Stephen Kwan's in three forty eight. I mean, Grant is a spring trade, but it's, it was just like it's just like Kwan just looks like Kwan, you know that kind of thing. Um, I was uh, really happy to see how Beaver was throwing yesterday. Uh, good talk with him for a story coming up about last year and. Uh, the mental things he had to fight through coming off. See, we forget last year, he's coming off arm problems in 21. He pitched 200 innings, but he was telling me what a struggle it was for him mentally and how much better he feels now. So when you see your ace throw like that, that's terrific. And um, so overall, the good thing is we're not sitting in here going, they have all these gaps to there and, and can Bobby Bradley play? Can you Chang play? You're not into that at all. You know that you go right, you can do the whole lineup. You know, Zanino's going to catch. He looks fine, but we'll see how that goes when it counts. You got Nehor at first and uh, Jimenez at second and Rosario at short and Jose in the outfield. You got Oscar Gonzalez and you've got Straw and you've got Quan and Bre- Brennan, who's hitting the ball hard. You're all set. You know, the I, I want to see uh, Savali throw. That's what I'm looking forward to. Cool. And we need to get on the record, Terry, that Roberta, your wife, has, has found her favorite prospect of 2023 spring training if you want to let's yes, get that it on is, the record it is it is Rokio. Rokio. That, was, that, that was her guy <laughs> and and remember you can say well he's kind of rated high by baseball america she does not read the scout the scouting reports in any of those she just watches a couple of games and so that just like she did a couple of years ago with quant so so we and, shall see yep and our listeners as we've talked about it, and you just mentioned she 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 caught she picked Stephen Kwan right out, and uh, in we've 2021, seen how that's out. <laughs> not 22, 21, yep. when he had just come up from a ball to play in a spring game. All right, hey, read Terry's stuff. He's going to be out in Goodyear through the end of the week. Just go to cleveland.com/slash Pluto, and you'll see all of Terry's stuff. So, um, so Terry, I know your your mind is on baseball. Why don't we get into the Cavs a little bit here? 44 and 27, they're locked into that fourth spot in the East. And I've been thinking about it. That might not actually be a bad place for them. They're looking at playing either the Knicks or the Nets, I think, if the playoffs started today. And that's not bad, right? So Sure. Yeah. Well, you you haven't made the playoffs without LeBron since 1998. And and you want to kind of say, I don't want to be in the fourth spot. You know, no, you want the home court. And if you and really, if you have the home court and you can't beat the Knicks, Knicks or the Knicks at this point, you're probably not ready to go to the second round. Yeah. And avoiding the heat would, you know, if the heat makes it through would be a good thing. So anyway, um, you've been writing about the Cavs bench, Terry. And I think yeah. we saw this play out last night in, in the win over Charlotte. Uh, I like these back-to-back road games, by the way, I think they're a really good idea by the mm-hmm. NBA where you play, the Cavs played in Charlotte last night and they played there on Monday and next week. They got two games back to back at Brooklyn. But uh, are you worried about this Cavs bench, Terry, going into the playoffs? This is kind of the dog days of the NBA season. It's kind of like August in baseball and the games are, you know, some of them don't mean a whole lot. But are, are you worried about this bench going into the playoffs? Because it's different than I think what we thought. The, the decline of love hurt it tremendously because that was a 
a guy who is not only the instant offense is, you know, he's still with Miami, he's still a really good defensive rebounder. If you watch it, he still does that. He still draws some charges. His shots broken. I mean, it just, it, it looks, it's a line. Dri- he always had a line drive, but this thing now there's something wrong, whether it's his back or thumb or both confidence. And the guy's really struggling and they don't have anybody else. Like the Dean Wade also looks like he's kind of broken. You know, he's struggling. See, they thought he would be able to, kind of do a really good uh, lesser degree of love imitation, but he's not been able to do that. Uh, I do think when you look at the, the rest of them, I, I still want would like to have see more from uh, Levert. He, he's so inconsistent. I know he plays hard and that, but I just thought he'd be more of a scorer. Uh, Rubio, he may just get better as he plays along as that knee gets stronger. But when you're – see, you know, the NBA is so um, – they look at the scouting and they say, look, if that guy wants to shoot, if Rubio wants to shoot from the outside, let him. If any of these guys want – basically, that's your problem. There's nobody there that's uh, really been with any consistent shooting at all. Where before, say, when Love was coming off the bench and and that, they said, you know, this guy in a three-point line, so they were going to have to bring somebody out or they were going to get hurt by him. Yeah, and you've written about this, Terry. The Cavs um... – Last season, I think they were 19th out of yeah. 19th in the league in bench scoring, and and this season, they're they, the last few days they were 29th. Yeah, uh, but you know the, the playoffs are so matchup mm-hmm. intensive, and it's just usually going into the playoffs. You know, all right, these guys are the starters. The rotation is going to be this guy coming at the end of the first quarter, and and I just feel like the, that JB Bickerstaff can't really rely on anybody consistently every night i mean jetty osmond had a, a nice game last night but his talk about shots i think oh he, he, yeah. he threw in a three he banked in a three-pointer you know like and, yeah. and the, the first few shots he he took just were really ugly and then he finished with 24 points it's just you there's nobody you can, you can rely on as like a good sixth seventh eighth option and, and you night. still yes you're gonna play these guys 35 to 42 minutes in the playoffs nonetheless you do need somebody else to play some minutes. And also you need a guy in the playoffs who comes off the bench and steals a game. He gets hot for a quarter, something like that. And, you know, maybe Levert steps up and does that. Uh, I, I I still am positive about Rubio, but I, you know what I wish? When Rubio's in there, especially with Mitchell, Mitchell needs to give Rubio the ball to bring it up. I, kn- I know Mitchell and uh, – Garland kind of have this thing of sort of whoever gets it just brings it up and the other guy plays off the ball and that. But Rubio off the ball is kind of worthless. I mean, he just stands on the wing, and they don't think he could shoot right now. So what's the point? But Rubio with the ball, he's running pick and rolls. He's making sure people get lined up the right way. Uh, maybe he does one of those kind of weird drives where he goes to the left side and he seems to be falling out of bounds and makes a little bank shot from six feet. That's what he was. Rubio needs to have the ball when he's on the floor for them to be better. And whether you're Mitchell and Garland, by the way, knows that and has always had been uh, given the ball to Ricky. So I do think that's that's one thing that could be fixed fairly easily. I think that's a good idea, Terry. And number one, having the offense start with Rubio, yes. having the ball in his hands is a good thing. And number two, especially when you get in the playoffs, like if they decide to pressure Garland or Mitchell bringing the ball up, I mean, mm-hmm. not that you're worried about them turning it over, but it's just wearing, it's just like mental, sure. it's more mental strain that you don't really need. Like let, let Rubio bring it up and you guys just trot down and get set in the offense instead of having to worry about somebody picking your pocket uh, in he- the backcourt. 
And he's played a hundred years across the globe. I mean, almost name a country that has basketball. He's played there. And, and meanwhile, and they would go play in the NBA. That's part of the reasons probably why his knees wore down. He's had two ACLs in the same knees, just played year round everywhere. But I, I trust him enormously with the ball and they, they need to get that going. And maybe somehow Rubio and Levert could get some sort of combination. I would play them more together. I know it's hard. JB's trying to win as many games as he can, but just to develop some chemistry with them. All right, Terry, we'll, um, we'll take a break here in a second. The Cavs are 44 and 20, 27. They're closing wow. in on the 50 wins, which is, which is pretty impressive for a team this young. Uh, the win last night over Charlotte was 120 to 104. And just looking ahead, they're playing the Sixers tonight at home. They have another home game on Friday against Washington at 7:30. That should be a fun night on St. Patrick's Day down in Cleveland and downtown. And then next Tuesday, Thursday, like I mentioned, they have that double road back-to-back uh, at Brooklyn. So, all right, you want to take a break, Terry? No, I'm all set. Okay, we got to <laughs> keep taking. No, we will take a break. Sometimes when you're making a lot of shots, you go, "I don't want to take a break. I want to." But we're going to take a timeout anyway because you be the coach. Okay, sounds good. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. All right, we're back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, let's talk some Browns. If we have time, some time, we've got some uh, final stories of people playing against notable athletes. People keep sending them in, and they're really yeah. entertaining. So we'll, we'll get to a couple of those. But let's talk Browns first. This is one of the craziest weeks if you're an NFL reporter, there's just 24 hours a day. There's moves happening. Uh, the Browns have made some, and we can just recap those real quick. First, they're bringing back center Ethan Posich, who had a really good season last year after Nick Harris went down in the preseason. He played really well, graded very highly, and the Browns have uh, signed him new, new, to a new deal, so he'll be back. And then shoring up the defensive line was probably job one, and the Browns have signed – Edge rusher Agbo Akaranquo and defensive tackle Dalvin Tomlinson. Uh, we just put up a film review by our film expert, Lance Reisland, if you want to check it out at cleveland.com slash Browns on Okaranquo uh, and his pass rushing and also what he needs to do better against the run. So check that out. But Terry, you seem like you like this approach where shoring up the lines is the way to go. We've seen the Browns through the years not worry about the lines as much and it's hurt them. This seems like a good approach, right? First of all, people want to talk about Nick Harris, the other guy who was supposed to be the center. How can you count on him physically to stay healthy? Along with the fact we don't know how good he is. Where now we know, I think Posick coming into last season has started over 50 games in the NFL. And clearly he was underrated or he's figured out how to even be a better center. But if you're going to go out there with uh, not only Deshaun Watson, but I think, you know, Betonio, Teller, all these other guys, uh, they want that center to know what he's doing. And I do think it's hard to be on the offensive line with Watson because of his kind of uh, uh, improvised, you know, his improvision style wandering all over. So the offensive line has really got to hand, hand together, hand together and be, and be careful. Post six, a key part of that. So that was good. Well, what so about Agbo? Go ahead. You want to go to him? No. Yeah, sure. You go ahead and yeah. talk about him. Um. The the wide nine and Lance would be his film review would be much better at this than anything I could say. He's a football coach. He studies this stuff. I do not stare at linemen when I watch games, just how it goes. But in terms of theory, a speed rusher from the other side in that for in the way they play that way, 
Uh, why don't you explain the wide nine, David? Because you you were a lineman, you know more than I do about that. Yeah, so fans, a lot of fans know what the wide nine is, but just if, if for those who don't, from what I have been able to learn over the years, when you're in an obvious passing situation, if it's third and long, and you know the other team's passing. What the wide nine does is it puts the defensive ends outside the nine hole, which is, you know, the, the outside the tight end, and it lets them get out in space so that they're not having to deal with like a, a tight end tackle chip. And, you know, Jim Schwartz, when he runs this, you want to get Miles Garrett one on one in space with an offensive tackle so that he can go inside, outside, uh, lean into him. And it just gives the, the defensive end, the pass rusher on the outside, more room to negotiate and try some different creative stuff instead of being caught up in the wash tighter to the line of scrimmage. So that's basically what I think the wide nine is. So anyway, go ahead. And Agbo is fast. So put him there. Now I've got it on, as I say, good authority, high authority. Uh, I mean, Schwartz is having a lot to do with their approach to, to, to free agency. You know, he wasn't going to come in here unless he had some influence on how the defense is going to be assembled. And Andrew Barry, who's close with Schwartz, was very impressed with them when they worked together in, in Philadelphia in 2019. And Kevin Stefanski's now open for suggestions on defense. So it's a perfect time for him, him being Schwartz, to – you know, put his stamp. This is how we want to play it. So he wants those speed on the uh, Agbo and uh, on the outside with Garrett. And then um, I hear it's interesting that he kind of, uh, you know, he likes Winfrey. He's, you know, been looking at, at the players of the, you know, Elliot, they think could be solid. They think Winfrey maybe could be better than that. Now Winfrey has some maturity problems and uh, before, but I also, no, and, and fans have already heard this on Schwartz. He's a disciplinarian. And so we'll see how that plays out, but it has potential. And what do you think of Tomlinson? I think it was a good move. They, you know how it works. You, you need guys that can rotate in, and he'll he'll start, and then they can rotate the other guys in to spell him. I think I think he was a good signing. It, it made yeah, sense. Yeah, they, they tried for Hargrave. It just, I guess, the money got to be too much. And, and really, if it's close and you're Hargrave, and you got a choice between San Francisco and Cleveland. What are you picking? Oh, for sure. And just to compare the money, Terry, like Hargrave went to the 49ers for 84 million. Yeah. Which I, and I think 40 of it was guaranteed. And, and Tomlinson's four year deal, I think is 57 million with 27. Right. So the Browns they were, were knocking, saving. They were, they were knocking on the door though, that 80 million I heard for Hargrave. They were up there. Right. Um, it's just, you know, is Hargrave that much better than Tomlinson that he's he's 27 million more <laughs> quality defensive uh, tackle? Like that's a, that's the question that's that I think the thing. Browns said no to. Yeah, they they did. Like if you were to say I, I'm just speaking, you know, in layman's terms, Hargrave would have been an A, Tomlinson a B plus. That that's kind of how they that's why the difference in money. Yeah. But, you know, they have to get the the line set up and i apparently tomlinson was number two on their list so that's where they went with it and remember too i don't know who else are after with safeties and that the browns are still a stuff tough sell to some of these players you could say whatever they want it's a tough sell to come here yeah we've seen that through the years Terry. i do think it's better than it was but um mm -hmm. what would you like to see them do next in free agency. Well, I had wrote we'll see, over the weekend, you know, I'd written that I'd heard Jordan Poyer. He's still out there because I had heard they weren't going to get Bates. And uh, uh, so they do need a safety. 
I'm not as hung up on you got to get this fast receiver as everybody else is. I just would like get a, a pretty good receiver. It doesn't have to be great. I mean, a big part of it is they just, I mean, they get to get Watson straightened out, David. They just do. I think if, if Watson was playing like he did in Houston and he's got Peoples Jones and he's got Amari Cooper and he's got Njoku, who's played much better than I thought he would last year. I mean, you were, you and Andrew Barry actually were right on him. I was wrong. And, um, and if you've got some of these other guys, uh, I think I still think David Bell and the Browns do too. They think David Bell could still be a very good contributor. That's not the problem. I mean, you'd like to have the guy to stretch the field, but you know, when you start talking about other things, I want them to keep working on the defense. Now I heard uh, I don't quite understand this. I was told this by a, a top person who knows Schwartz that Schwartz views the run game as it's a, it's like defend by numbers as opposed to you got to have this linebacker thing. So I guess that means safety's in the box. I'm not sure, David, any thoughts? Uh, no, I think you're right. I mean, it, it, it it's down in distance too, but it, yeah. it's everybody's got to do their job so that someone can make the tackle. That's yeah, as true. opposed to having, yep. yeah, as opposed to having the, uh, the premier linebacker. Now they think he will be able to, with his scheme, you know, get more out of JOK and some of these other play, younger players get more to Delpit than in the past. Of course, you always say that if you're a new coordinator coming in, you know, these guys are drafted fairly high and you can see some physical tools. Now, how did you think Delpit played last year? I thought he got better and better as the season mm-hmm. went along. And I think they really like him. And going back to what I asked you a minute ago, Terry, I, I would like to see them bring in a safety. And uh, yeah. you were mentioning Poirier. I think I just saw that he might be going back to Buffalo. Oh, really? Uh, After he all might be that, off huh? the board, but uh, Tim Bielik, our colleague, actually in January ranked the the positions in the draft from best to worst. And safety was the ninth rated position yeah. in the draft. So it's not a great year for safeties. I think, I think the Browns should look for somebody like a Ronnie Harrison, somebody who's a, you know, who's got some playing experience is good. Maybe not great. Isn't going to cost them a ton of money. If Poyer's off the board, mm-hmm. um, you know, somebody like a Ronnie Harrison who can come in and play as like a second or third safety flexible you know somebody like that and I, I there's you know you mentioned Poirier also like Chauncey Gardner Johnson is still on the board I think but those they might be too rich I don't know somebody maybe below those two might be around in a day or two that they might move on but they of course the Browns know. may be sitting still maybe they like both of them I do know they have an interest in Poirier I don't know how strong but I know they have an interest because I was checking on a couple other names that I was told was no when I got to him I heard it was possibility so maybe with uh, Gardner Jones and Poirier there's like okay let's sit out here by Friday let's see where you are you know with yep with whoever's negotiating with you yeah so all right Terry we're running up against it here I know you have to get out and watch some baseball here we got about five six minutes left so I'll tell you what, why don't we save the, the stories of playing against notable athletes for next week when we have more time. We've got some Hey Terry questions here, Okay. and I thought we could get to those in the last five minutes. Uh, we always have some good ones, and we appreciate you sending those in. If you want to send in a question or comment, just hit us at sports at cleveland.com and put Terry's talking in the subject line. So, all right, Terry, this one is from Craig Everhart, and he says, Hey, Terry, I've been a reader of yours my entire life and appreciate all your work. The Terry's Talking podcast has been a great way to keep up with Cleveland sports, although I now reside in Florida. 
your recent faith in you column on cell phone usage really spoke <laughs> to me, especially in regards to the impact on teenagers. I've been teaching and coaching football in both Northeast Ohio and Southwest Florida for two decades and have seen firsthand the distraction that cell phones bring in the classroom, especially your article was so poignant. I created a lesson for my students at the Catholic high school I teach at hoping it helps my students to evaluate their amount of cell phone usage. Thus far, the students have found it interesting and it sparked some productive discussions in my classes. Keep up the good work with the podcast. Go guardians, Cavs and Browns. And again, that's from Craig Everhart. Thanks for that, Craig. Well, Ted Ginn told me periodically he runs a check of the players' equipment when they're on the field to make sure because he's caught them out there with cell phones. He's trying to tell them, you can't come out here with a cell phone. And besides, you get it broken. But it's it's like, you know, you want to cut off one of my fingers. How dare you take my cell phone? (laughs) So there you go. Okay, that's cool. Cool. Thanks for that, Craig. This one is from longtime friend of the podcast, Caleb Mackey from Columbus. He says, hey, Terry and David, the NFL continues to have the monopoly on the sports calendar despite not being in season. Everyone's talking about free agency. <laughs> I hear Tampa Bay is interested in Baker Mayfield, and actually that's happening today, Terry, from what I saw that, that mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield's headed to the Bucks. This made me ponder something, and I would love to hear your take on it. If you were an NFL GM surveying the free agency market, which former Browns QB would you try to snag, Baker Mayfield or Jacoby Brissett? Thank you, Caleb Mackey. Thanks for that question, Caleb. Terry, what David, do you think? I'm going to let you vote first, but I, I have a strong opinion on that. Oof. I would go with Jacoby Brissett. I just think he's a great teammate, and he makes the other quarterbacks better. Like He probably doesn't have the upside that Baker Mayfield does, but I just I just feel like you'd want him on your team. I think you're going to say the same thing. What are you going to say? I am. Uh, yes. And, and, and by a clear, and a clear margin. So, you know, as we're wrapping this up, I'm just looking. I kind of looked up Baker's five games with the Rams where he finally got his completion percentage up over 60%, which he needed to do. But in five games, four touchdowns, you know, two interceptions. He was sacked 17 times in five games. Um I don't know what he's got. I, I really do wish him the best. I, I mean that. I was not a there because I give him more credit for what happened in 2018 when he took over and 2020 than a lot of people with the Browns or following the Browns want to do. I just wonder is that is he is he beat up, David? I mean, that's another question. It might not have just been – remember the shoulder was the thing we all were there, but then he had the high ankle sprain. He went to Carolina, the high ankle sprain. And so on. Whereas Jacoby is durable. I think if you put him in the right system, you know, he could be a chance to be really good. Um, I, I just take, I would take him over that. All right. Thanks for that question. All right. So um, Paul Cosgrove, another longtime friend of the show sent in a question. I feel like I'm, I'm Jimmy Kimmel promising yeah. to have Matt Damon on every week or every night, but uh, Paul, you had a great question about helmets and, and foam helmets and Tua. And we're going to save that for next week when we have more time. I promise you we will get to it next week. So it's going to take some time, and Terry's got to go to the ballpark. So, all right, Terry, uh, any book recommendations you want to do this week? We have, like, two minutes left. Yes, and I see the clock ticking down. So, actually, this is a book that came out in 1999 by Frank Fitzsimmons called And the Walls Came Tumbling Down. It is the story of – Texas Western winning the NCAA tournament, first time that five African-American play, players played against Kentucky and Adolph Rupp. 
it is i don't know how i missed this book because on top of it my editor jeff newman who like with loose balls and curse of rocky calvito and many of these other books that in the 80s and 90s he was the editor for this book i just missed it i happened to see it the texas western stories always intrigued me uh with the big bear haskins and pick it up and the walls came tumbling down frank fitzsimmons if you love basketball history that is it but here is the cool part of it you know everybody thought well they came out with five african-american players and they ran kentucky off the floor wrong the big bear if you're named big bear you're probably not a run and gun coach <laughs> you are get out there and beat them up and all this other stuff in fact Haskins drove these players so crazy with his disciplined style. They would play these pickup games sometimes late at night where they're going behind their back and dunking and all this other stuff to get, you know, the, the freedom, the jazz style, they, as opposed to uh, what the big bear made him play. So, you know what he did? He outdid Kentucky with the toughness and smarts. There you go. <laughs> so check that out. My recommendation, Terry, Today, the season three starts for Ted Lasso. And if you uh -huh. haven't seen that show, you should watch it. It's really good. There's a lot of chaos in the world. That's a very uplifting show. Check it out. So I think we're done. We're done. An express edition. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, to everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time on Terry's Talking.